Hello, everybody. Welcome back to CB Sports Podcast. We're episode two. We made it. We, we made we it. We made it past week one. So CB we're, Sports. We're, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Chris. I'm Ben. And uh, we're back to uh, talk some more sports for episode two. So um, January I guess we're 29th, gonna, two, there we 2019. Go, yeah. There we go. Yeah. We got to make sure. I guess we got to make sure it. we date it because otherwise, it. who knows where, where who, we're at yeah, in the, in the world around here. in the abyss. Uh, yeah. Episode two, dude. Uh, what are we? Let's. Should we just do a rundown really quick of what we're going to go over? I think uh, we're going to start it off with a little NBA trade talk, a little Anthony Davis uh, causing some splashes in the NBA. Then we'll uh, we'll move on to some we'll move on to some baseball, break down the Hall of Fame, inductees a little bit. Uh, maybe I want to talk a little bit about AJ Pollock officially uh, signing with the Dodgers. Yeah, we can we can we can throw some Dodgers stuff in there. That's fine. That's fine. There, you know, and. Uh, move on to some NHL trade stuff, and then we'll uh, close it out with some Super Bowl talk. So, a lot to cover. A lot to cover in this episode, too. So, uh, yeah, man, you want to you wanna kick it off? Yeah, yeah, we can kick it off. We'll, uh, like we said, start with uh, Anthony Davis, and obviously the big news there is that he's requested a trade from New Orleans. He, uh, I guess, basically just came out and said he wasn't going to re-sign with them after the 2020 season, uh, which is next year. So, he's still under contract, but... Um, yeah, he, he basically said he's, he's not interested in, uh, re-signing with him even on a max contract. So the next step, I guess, is to figure out where he goes next. And at this point, I guess, uh, there's, there's a lot of players for him, obviously, because you want this kind of, this kind of player, but, um, I don't know. Do you have any early speculation on as far as where you think he's going to go or kind of what the next step is in this whole saga? I think the next step is going to be. Um, the Lakers making a huge effort to get him to okay. Los Angeles. All right. I think that's I think that's what many people are saying. You know, there's people criticizing. Well, not criticizing, but if Magic Johnson can't get him to the Lakers, there's people already saying that that would mean he has failed the Lakers franchise uh, in running in running their operations right now. I think I think the fact that he also has uh, he's under the same agent. Uh, that LeBron has. What's this guy's name? Rick. Uh, had it right here in front of me. Um, dang it, I'll find it. R- uh, right. Rich Paul. Sorry, Rich okay, Paul. So, uh, yeah, he, they have the same agent. LeBron made it sound, you know, earlier he got in trouble for saying how he'd love to play with Anthony Davis, you know, in the future. And people were saying like, "Whoa, you can't." Whatever that little term, little bit of collusion, collusion there. Or whatever there. They, You're not yeah. allowed to do that. And so now it's becoming real that he wants to move on from New Orleans. Um, and I think I mean I think it's easy to say that the Lakers are going to be the front runners to try and get him, and I think he wants to play in L.A. There's a report that says the only team that he'll re-sign with after 2020, uh, if he gets traded to a team, is the Lakers, according to a report by Deadspin that I'm reading right here. Okay, so I mean, I mean, if if you look at that, I mean, I think that kind of maybe doesn't change things because I think a lot of teams probably are already aware of that, but. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think um, that he, well, not him, but the Lakers go after him like right now? Is this going to be like a trade deadline thing? I mean, they got what I think February 7th is the deadline. So they got about nine days to put this together. Do you think that's something that they get done now? Or is this more of like a offseason thing where they can kind of regroup and, and see where they're at? And I mean, obviously, they're going to want him one way or another. But do you think they can get that done? I think it depends on if they want to get rid of those young guys that they've scouted and brought up, like Kyle Kuzma and and, and Lonzo Ball and, and those guys. Because like, it's going to take 
those types of pieces, I think, to get him over from New Orleans. New Orleans isn't just going to let him go willy-nilly. Like, they want to get some return on this player that they have for the next year, I think. So I, I think it's something the Lakers will go for, but it's going to be on dependent on what exactly they're going to have to give up. But it seems like, I don't know, it sounds, again, limited basketball knowledge guy here, but it sounds like from what I've read and and seen on, on, on the tube that uh, the Lake, Laker nation is not going to be happy if they don't get him right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think, especially if he's openly expressing, you know, his desire to play for the Lakers, if they aren't able to get that done. I mean, that's even more of a, you know, well, what could have been because it was something that was right there in front of them. But I think if you're looking, you know, I'll just kind of play devil's advocate here just because I, I mean, I would say I think the Lakers at some point or another is going to be where he ends up. But let's just kind of throw a wrench in that just, you know, for the sake of discussion. And um, if he ends up somewhere else, let's let's say that the Lakers don't get it done. I mean, if you're New Orleans, I don't know really what the best route to go with is right now because you either, you know, you make this deal now where you kind of have a limited amount of teams that are going to be interested in it because obviously if you're not expected to be in the playoffs this year, if you're kind of a rebuilding team, knowing they're not going to re-sign him at the end of next year, it kind of limits your market a little bit. I mean, I think if you're the Pelicans, waiting is not necessarily going to hurt you know, I, I think the Lakers are probably going to put together the offer that they put together now. I don't see it being that different than the offer they make over the summer, or, or I don't think it drags on to next year's trade deadline. But um, I, I, I don't know. I think I think that they I mean, you are. Wanna, you don't want to hold on to a player that clearly doesn't want to be with your franchise, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's talented and he's going to obviously battle and play up to his skill level because he wants to still, you know he's a skilled player and he's competitive, but do you want to be a franchise that holds on to a player that you know doesn't want to stay there? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you don't want to end up with that reputation, but then at the end of the day, trading Davis, like they also are trying to move on as a franchise. Then they're trying to put themselves in the best situation they can be in without him. So I understand on one hand, you know, he doesn't want to play there. And obviously they long-term don't want him to be playing for a team. He doesn't want, he has no interest in being with, but I think that they are fully within their right to kind of take it slow and find whatever the best offer may be because they're also still trying to build things as a franchise. So it's not all tied to Anthony Davis. Like eventually they want to end up winning without him if he's not going to be part of that solution. But um, yeah, I think I think the Lakers ultimately get him at some point. I, I, I just don't know that it's going to happen right away. I mean, because... Like I said, I mean, you have about nine days to do it. I mean, deals have come together quicker than that. But I could see the Pelicans kind of taking their time. I mean, another factor that could be, you know, Boston, who is a team that I think has definitely the assets to get him, but then they can't do it till July 1st. I mean, with the whole designated player rule and all that, admittedly, we kind of had to go a little bit uh, in-depth on our uh, kind of process of figuring out what exactly that was. But yeah. basically, basically because they have Kyrie Irving, they cannot trade for Anthony Davis until after July 1st, obviously, which is after the season. But so I don't know. I, I don't know if they end up being players or not, but obviously if he is hell bent on making it to LA one way or another, that probably kind of limits the return that the Pelicans get on him uh, from anybody else, knowing that he's probably a rental for anybody else. But uh, 
yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think he ends up with the Lakers at some point, but I'm just not sold that it's going to happen by February 7th. I think it's, yeah. I, I Yeah, that's a valid point. I think it just seems that he wants to go, he wants to leave New Orleans. There's a report um, coming out uh, today that, um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out actually just accurately where this report's coming. I read it on Pro Football Talk on NBCSports.com, but um, I just want to make sure I'm giving proper credit here to the report. Uh, but I did read that it seems like the Saints ownership factor is a reason why Anthony Davis wants out of is one of the reasons why Anthony Davis wants out of New Orleans. He feels that there's not a it's, there's the same ownership for the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans, right. and that's a factor I think that bothers him. That it's a, it's quote been a growing concern that the Pelicans are less of a priority. So I think another factor into this is like he wants to go to a team where that franchise is top tier and, and a, a premier team and in focus, right? And, and a it team feels that's, like it's that's going to be committed to. Trying to build a, a trying to build a championship team, winning yeah. team, yeah, it's 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 the priority. You look at L.A., the Lakers are that they you know, and you look at Boston, the Celtics are that. You look at a team like you, know, you could even say the Miami Heat, right? They're another team that's probably going to make a run at them. Uh, but I think I think the Celtics will have compelling a, a compelling offer because they have the young talent and and. Uh, I I think they have the pieces that New Orleans will be looking for if they can hold out until summer. Yeah, um, they have they have the young talent and future picks that the Pelicans are gonna want, but I don't know, man. I think I don't know. I I think he goes to L.A. I think the Lakers make the magic happen and they make LeBron. They want LeBron to be happy and LeBron wants Anthony Davis and LeBron is LeBron as we've seen in his past is a person that he's a player. That is also like a coach and somewhat of a GM. He makes oh, yeah. he calls his shots, dude. He's like, in their ear for sure. He is he has power. And like there's been rumbles about you know, LeBron's group uh not being happy with Luke Walton being the coach still for the Lakers. And now there's are there, you know, there's rumblings about like is, are the Lakers gonna get rid of Luke Walton? Is Magic Johnson gonna fire him? Even knowing ownership with the Lakers, you know, the bus family has been really close with Walton and want to hold on to him and then stand by, stood by him. So it's going to be interesting to see like how much power LeBron is going to grasp in LA. Is he going to be enough of the reason for the Lakers to make these moves and make a splash and go get Anthony Davis and maybe like part with Luke Walton? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, but yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's funny because you kind of like, you know, talking about his power and the influence he has over who's the coach and whatnot. It's kind of the same thing that happened in Cleveland. I mean, he was, you know, in that same scenario where they're firing coaches because he's not happy with them and all that. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it's funny, like how you mentioned earlier, how they're saying, you know, they've, they're kind of a failure if they don't get Anthony Davis. I mean, I don't know. Do you do you agree with that? I mean, they got LeBron. Are, are they basically saying that they don't think they, they can win Without Anthony Davis, even, I don't agree. Even, with, no, you know? I don't agree with that. I think they're. I take it as they're taking the approach of like, look at what the Warriors have been able to do. The Warriors have acquired top tier talent and have become unstoppable. And I think that the Lakers have a desire to be that. You know, we saw it happen with Miami. I think originally, like in the modern era, where they just stockpiled stars and won championships and now look the Warriors are doing it and now I think the Lakers want to be in on that as well in this you know we've seen the Lakers be dominant in the past with all-star lineups but I'm talking like right now they want like get Anthony Davis okay you got LeBron you got Anthony Davis like depending on what you give up like I don't know I don't think it's necessary necessarily like 
I think they have these young guys that still are marinating and coming up and like they haven't been as successful I think as they've wanted to since they acquired LeBron this you know for this year I think you know maybe I think people are growing impatient because they expect immediate success nobody wants we live in a freaking time period of instant gratification that's what we want right everything right there all like immediately I heard I, Colin Cowherd actually made a really good point today talking about like people want the microwave they don't want to cook with the oven I thought that it's like that's a very good analogy yeah. in what we live today so because the Lakers are not at the top of the Western Conference right now you know and they're, they're they've had their struggles granted LeBron's been injured for the last however many games right um but well, he, yeah I mean he's he's missed about 16 games this year so yeah so I think I think there's promise in the Lakers young lineup and now they have LeBron and I think but I don't know like it's not just Laker fans that are impatient like LeBron see, it sounds like he's impatient as well like he wants to when he only has you know he's aging so I don't know I don't think it's necessary that Anthony Davis is the missing piece and is going to make the Lakers it, everything that they dream they would be yeah is he, he could but like I think they could do it without him I I mean it depends like on if these players can marinate and live up to potential yeah it might not be this year hopefully it's it could be next year I think they got talent yeah you know I I it's hard because, you know, I don't have a, a, a pulse on the Lakers necessarily, but, um, you know, I, I couldn't see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like classify it as a failure, but I could see kind of, as you said, like as good as LeBron is, he is getting older. Like there is a limited window there as far as for him. I mean, there is a young core, but you know, they brought in LeBron obviously to kind of boost that core and win a championship. But you talk about, you know, I just like think of a couple of like the other big names who were at one point or another, like tied to LA, like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, like those were guys that they thought they would be players in and, and guys that, you know, always had been reported. Oh, like they want to end up in LA and they ended up going elsewhere. So I could see kind of the frustration with, all right, well now we have this other big star in Anthony Davis, who's kind of expressing that same desire to play there or one way or another has like a connection to potentially playing there, being traded there. And I think if you miss out on him, it's like, I don't know. I, th- I think part of it maybe is being a little bit spoiled because it's like you, you got LeBron James and you're still like, oh, well, we need, why can't we get any of these other big names? But at the same time, it's like, just like we were talking about with the Pelicans, like their goal is to at some point or another build a winner. Well, Anthony Davis maybe doesn't agree with that, but just, you know, that's kind of the general uh, point of even having a, a team. But um, yeah, so the I think the Lakers, like that's going to be their goal, I think, is obviously to get somebody in there with LeBron and I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if they can do it without him. I mean, we've kind of seen him, you know, the warriors have always been kind of his kryptonite when it comes to the playoffs. And obviously they're going to be meeting earlier than the NBA finals this time around, if it gets to that point. But yeah, I, I mean, the Lakers I, are sitting right outside of a playoff spot right now, a uh, game and a half behind uh, their fellow Los Angeles Clippers. So, I mean, they're they're not guaranteed that they're even going to make the cut this year. You know, it's I think it's I think it's freaking people out that they like, and I might be freaking LeBron out too that he might not be in the postseason this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have to look at that as like that. That's probably I think the bigger like failure than not getting Anthony Davis is like having LeBron and then not even making it to the postseason at all. Yeah. Like I think that so. I could definitely see them worrying about that and being like that. It's obviously not a good look to. Well, I can see LeBron worrying about that too. Oh, for sure. You're talking about limited years like left that he has in the tank, right? Like he he th- he does not want to have any seasons go by where he's not in the postseason competing. And like, 
don't know, man. It's <laughs> it's kind of interesting how it seemed like it was a lot was greener pastures for him leaving Cleveland again and yeah. going to the you know Showtime Lakers, man. Like, and, and it's not necessarily going as it, it's not as glamorous as it. I think maybe either party expected it to be right now. It's a grind, so yeah. I think I think that pressure is gonna be what pushes the Lakers to making the move to get Anthony Davis. Because I think if I think if they don't go for him and they either miss the postseason or have an early exit in the postseason, um, people are gonna look at that and blame Magic Johnson, blame the front office for not making the splash of getting this big name player anthony davis who has expressed yeah he wants to go to the la lakers right but then i think they at the same time if they do go after davis and they get him for whatever price that may be and the same scenario happens where it doesn't pan out maybe i mean they don't they have an early exit in the postseason i don't know if people will look back and be like oh they shouldn't have made that trade i don't i don't think it'll be that way that's why i think they will go after him and get him whatever it might take yeah i, I mean, mean obviously I've... it depends on what the pelican if the pelicans are willing but I don't know. That's yeah. that's my prediction. For sure. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone's going to be upset at them going after Anthony Davis and then even if he, yeah, like you said, doesn't push them into a playoff spot or, or deep into the playoffs, I think you're still in a better situation with him than without him. Um I just think it will be kind of interesting to follow like we're almost like turning this into like it's LeBron's team. I mean, it, it pretty much, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like is LeBron going to be patient enough to, you know, kind of wait it out or whatever, but I mean, that's um yeah. That's I, just kind of a culture we live in now in sports though, man. It's like look at what happened in Green Bay. It seems like Aaron Rodgers was a big factor for why McCarthy was fired, right? There was some rift there, but and now it seems like, you know, and Rodgers is going to have or had some say in like the new hire. It's like players star players become more powerful it, nowadays it well, seems yeah. like they are more powerful they yeah, are calling, I mean, fa- helping like face call of, face of the franchise face that the definitely franchise. drives sales it drives tickets and all that so and especially i think in lebron's case like that's you know the that's every everyone knows lebron james so it doesn't matter even if you don't follow basketball at all so i i definitely understand like the lakers being like we're, we're, we'll do we'll do what you yeah, want like they, the they knew they knew coming in and, and like signing him like that i'm sure they knew what they were getting into um so yeah they're they're kind of at his mercy i guess at this yeah, point. yeah i mean we'll see see how it shakes out my prediction though is they're gonna they're gonna get him this year so you you think by, by i think the they'll trade, trade for him okay yeah that's my prediction yeah i i don't know i not that we're making predictions i don't know i'm just saying i mean that's what i think yeah, I, I I just I kind of want to like see it drag out a little bit to kind of see how it plays out because I think it would be interesting if you know the trade deadline passes and he's still in New Orleans, you know what LeBron says about that, what he says about that, and then potentially what other teams kind of get into the mix when you kind of open it up July first. It's like anybody can go after him at that point, so it would be interesting to kind of see where where that all falls if if it drags out, but. I think eventually he ends up on the Lakers. Whether whether LeBron's patient enough for him to wait until he signs with them after next year, we'll see. But yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, let's let's move on to a little baseball. So, I guess let's start off with the Hall of Fame. That was last week. That was the, actually right after we recorded the first episode last week. And uh, Chris, give us a lowdown on who got in. Yeah. So. They elected four. It was Mariano Rivera, Edgar Martinez, Roy Halladay, and Mike Mussina. 
uh, both Rivera and Halliday were first-time ballots or first time on the ballot, and they were both elected. Edgar Martinez was in his final year on the ballot and made it. Uh, Mike Messina, kind of middle of the road. He was in his sixth year on the ballot. Um, I will say I actually got something wrong last week. I said Mariano Rivera was not going to get 100% of the vote because it just doesn't happen. There's never been a unanimous Hall of Famer, but he he did it. He proved me wrong. He was the first one to get 100% of the vote and on his first time on the ballot too, which is literally unprecedented. It's never happened in baseball before. So I think that'll be interesting moving forward to kind of see if that changes things because I think it was always, even for the guys that were like, you know, like easily in, it was always kind of like, a couple writers were not going to vote for him just because, you know, MLB and they're kind of like entrenched in their ways of, well, it's never happened before. We've never had a unanimous uh, inductee, so I'm not going to vote for him as opposed to just looking at the stats and like, you know, so I think yeah. a kind of a personal like a traditionalist thing. type of view, like, oh, that's just not the way we do it. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I think now that now that he's <laughs> now that he's in, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't think it really changes like. If someone's on the borderline, it doesn't change too much, but I don't think it'll be the last time now that we see a unanimous Hall of Famer. So that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, so those, those are the four that made it. Um, the guys that were like kind of on the borderline or within that realm was Kurt Schilling, who had about 60% of the vote. Roger Clemens was at 59.5. Barry Bonds, 59.1. Larry Walker, 54.6. Um, so I guess I... I kind of want to just with this segment kind of focus in maybe on some of those guys who were on the bubble yeah creeping up but like all of them i guess kind of have i wouldn't i'm at least for shilling clemens and bonds kind of the controversy and then with larry walker he's going into his final year of uh eligibility next year um but he he's taken a huge jump up like he was down around the like 30 percent range last time so he's taking a huge step up he needs about another 25 percent increase or yeah, my math, maybe my math's wrong. 20% increase, 20.4% to be exact, uh, to get to that 75% threshold for next year. So I don't know, what are your thoughts maybe on any of those guys? I mean, do any of those guys stand out? You can talk about either Walker, Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, anyone else that's kind of still hanging down there on the ballot. Like what are your impressions on any, or even, even the guys that got elected? Uh, I'll just kind of leave it up, up to you. I mean, I think the the biggest name there is is Larry Walker in my opinion because he's you know of those of those bubble players that we're talking about uh four of them he's the least controversial in my opinion and he I don't see why Larry Walker has not made it he's I mean I'm looking I'm looking here on MLB.com making a case for Walker's career this is this is a dated article I'll give you that but just looking at over it says over 17 seasons he won an MVP award um three batting titles three silver sluggers seven gold gloves five all-star teams i don't i don't know man i don't understand how he isn't getting more love here and he's got one year left to make it in um i don't know growing up <laughs> watching baseball he was always uh, when i thought of the colorado rockies i was like larry walker when I thought of Larry Rocky, I was Colorado. He's Mr. Rocky, dude. And I just, like, I don't know. I don't see why he's, I don't even see why he's below Bonds or Clemens. I mean, especially in the fact that those guys still have, what, three more years? They're in their seventh year? Yeah. Right? So they got yep. three more, and they're, they're going up above him. And, 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 and those are guys that are the most controversial in sense of using, have, you know, 
been con- not convicted, but proven but yeah, that they've used yeah. steroids and PEDs. And it's just, I don't know. I don't, I, well, I just think it's, I think it's, it's sad to see Larry Walker not getting as much love and the fact that he might miss out next season. Yeah. You know, I think I'm kind of just like doing a brief glance of like, you know, Edgar Martinez's uh, career stats and Larry Walker. And they're, they're pretty comparable. I mean, they're, Edgar Martinez had a 312 lifetime batting average. Larry Walker's at 313. Uh, home runs, Edgar Martinez hit 309. Yeah, Larry, Larry Walker's 383. I get the, oh, well, he played in Coors Field thing, so you got to knock that down a little bit. But uh, home runs are home runs to me. I don't I don't really care about all that stuff. Um, and yeah, our RBIs, he had more uh, RBIs equal, than Edgar equal, Martinez. Equal, equal batting averages pretty much. Yeah, and, and I think you look at it, Edgar Martinez, I think maybe mainly the knock on him was, well, he was primarily a designated hitter, so he didn't really have a position. But, I mean, Larry Walker played defense. Uh, I believe, I, I'm probably going to get the number wrong on gold gloves, but I think he had... Well, I had it right here. He had seven. Seven gold gloves. There you go. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I get it's kind of a case-by-case basis. You can't just blindly put up one set of numbers and another one and say this guy if this guy may get this guy doesn't but i mean to your point i agree with i don't I don't know how the guys that are kind of tied to all this controversy steroids and all that stuff they've all jumped larry walker where he is now looking at yeah like his final year of eligibility and he needs a, a pretty big jump to get there but he's over 20 percent of a jump yeah yeah it's it's, it's uh yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's a it's weird to see people becoming more lenient or uh, 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 for Bonds and Clemens, you know, and, and and that's something else we can talk about is is if they do end up making it in the next three years, Clemens or Bonds, or both. Yeah, how are players like Canseco and Maguire that never made it into the Hall of Fame and were PED users um, get a feel about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's probably going to be the biggest controversy if they do make it in is because like you said I think a lot of people are maybe becoming more lenient on voting for players that are either like admittedly use PEDs or I don't know in Bond's case I guess he's never admitted it but it's more or less well known but I don't know as we get closer to that I mean we get further away from I think like the steroid era you know with all, all these guys that have one way or another been like pretty well connected to it for most of their careers. But I, you know, I don't know with, with Clemens and bonds, both with like three years of eligibility left, neither of them made that much headway as, as far as this year. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I know they were both in the, you know, 55 to 58% range of voting last year. Yeah. Last year, Clemens was at 57.3 bonds was 56.4. Yeah. So they both, I mean, making less than about 3% headway, towards that 75%. I mean, it's they're going to have to start gaining more than that each year, but I feel like they're kind of stalling at this point. Like you if you're making your way up to that 75 and you're in the back half of your 10 years of eligibility, like you you want to be at least in that 65 to 70% range because I don't think much is going to change as far as the writers that are voting for those guys are more than likely they're going to keep voting for them unless there's some bombshell that all of a sudden Bonds is like comes out and emits it, then he plummets, something like that. But if you're not voting for them, I don't see how that really changes much in three years. Like 
you know, I think the first time voters and, and some of the newer voters are becoming more lenient. So they're getting votes, votes there. But there's not enough votes to go around to kind of offset the guys that are like, you know, I haven't voted for him in seven years. I'm not going to, nothing's going to change my mind in the next three where I'm not going to vote for them. Yeah. I mean, I, it'll be interesting, man. I, I, if they, if they ever do make it and, and cause then that's going to set a precedent. If they, if they do, it's going to set a precedent for is out, you know, Alex Rodriguez, right? He's the next guy to be. I'm a, I must. I. I don't. Ha, I don't have it in front of me. Well, he. Well, the interesting thing, yeah, you bring up a Rod is. So Bonds and, and Clemens are three years left on the ballot. So 2022 is going to be basically make or break. It's they're either in or out at that point. And coincidentally enough, that's the first year that Alex Rodriguez is on the ballot is 2022. So it's their last year and his first year, and okay. they're all kind of tied yeah, that's with, the, with, right the, with the PED thing. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's I think that'll be that'll be something to watch for sure. As yeah, we it's like. going to be interesting because if they do make – I mean, A-Rod had, uh, came out and spoke last week saying he, he wants to see those guys make it. He wants to see Clemens and Bonds make it. And obviously – it's it bodes well. He, it bodes well for him because <laughs> yeah. you, you have to think, even knowing what Clemens and Bonds were never suspended, A Rod was suspended for over a year because of PED use, and and it'll be you know is that going to be enough? That difference right there, even if Clemens and Bonds squeak in, it would you know? You just uh, is another ten years down the road of Baseball Hall of Fame ballot voting. Is that gonna? people gonna like as time you know time heals all wounds is time gonna actually help a rod and people aren't gonna necessarily care as much they're gonna become more easygoing with it and lenient with it and they'll be like yeah let's you know i'd vote for a rod you know i don't know i don't know if that's right if he does make it is that right though because then that you're you're taking away mcguire and canseco they missed out on the chance because of the rule that you only have 10 years to do it it's i don't know man i think it's I think because Maguire and Canseco didn't make it in, Clemens and Bonds not make if they don't make it in, then why should A Rod? Yeah. Or why should Clemens and Bonds don't make it in even if Maguire and Canseco didn't? I think if you allow these guys, I don't know what the rules are in this, but if you allow Bonds and Clemens or A Rod to get in, I think players like Canseco and Maguire would have a case to wanna like fight for some sort of reconsideration to come back and be considered for the hall of fame i don't even know if that would ever happen you're talking about baseball and how it's traditionalist a lot of the time but i don't know man i could see i don't know that's a lifetime achievement right there the baseball hall of fame and if you're letting other guys in just because they you know it's been that amount of time since you know ped use was at its peak of like criticism i don't know like what do you what do you think about that well you know i i think the whole thing is going to come down to 2022 unfortunately like we're not going to have that answer because i don't think i don't think clemens or bonds get in before then and i think you're you're basically going to have kind of a defining moment as far as like the ped like whether they get in the hole or not because i mean you're looking at like you said i mean with canseco with with mcguire not making it but i think it's even kind of a step up with Bonds and Clemens, I mean, you're talking about Clemens who won seven Cy Youngs, most Cy Youngs that anyone's ever won. And then you're talking about Bonds who has hit the most home runs that anyone has ever hit. I mean, I I understand like, you know, people are going to knock him and say, well, it's not the true home run, home run king because it all goes back to the PED thing. But yeah, if you're talking about a Hall of Fame that doesn't have the guy who hit the most home runs in your sport and the guy who, you know, for one way or another was basically what you're saying is Clemens was the best pitcher in the sport just 
going off, you know, the number of Cy Youngs he's won. If they're not in, it's obviously going to be because of the PEDs. But if so, if they don't make it, I, mean, I don't think there's any way that A-Rod is going to make it because, like you said, I mean, he was actually suspended for it, whereas these guys have kind of been linked to it. And, like, I mean, it's a pretty good chance that they took him. But if they don't make it, I don't know. Like, that's, like, the gold standard, I think, there. So anyone kind of below that, and I'd put A-Rod below that, I don't think there's any way he's going to make it. But if they... I don't know. I'd say you nine years down the road, let's say Bonds and Clemens are right on the cusp there. Let's say 74%. Point, 74.9%, let's just say, for you know dramatic purposes. You don't think 10 years down the road you could see a boot? I mean, yeah, like well, they, you said, it's going to be interesting when it's their last year and it's A-Rod's first year yeah. to see how the voting percentages turn out. But I, I don't know, man. It's going to... Yeah. They, it's all messy. It's, it's a messy situation. And I think if you... My stance on it is if you let one of these... If you let one of these guys in that... Like Bonds or Clemens, one or both, right... Uh, I think you have to make a case for guys like Maguire and Canseco. Yeah, I mean to it, be reconsidered. I don't even know if that's ever. I don't well, think that's ever well, been they, done. Well, they but, well they can. I mean, it's I don't I don't know the exact process, but I I do know there's like a Hall of Fame committee that can basically step in and make special cases for guys who either would just like drop from the ballot or their ten years have passed. Like it's happened before. Um, so it's not like they can never get in, but it's basically gonna kind of take a little bit of a process, but. Yeah, you know, I, I think the thing that sucks is like you're sitting here talking about all these numbers and stuff and like it really is coming down to a personal opinion, like whether you don't really care about the PED thing because, you know, basically your argument is, well, everyone in that era was doing it. So it kind of offsets what Bonds and Clemens were doing because they were going up against guys that were also on it. Or if you're just kind of hard stance on, you know, if they if they cheated, like they're not getting in it really is coming down to, to personal preference. So it's not there's numbers are like, like, you know, my, my argument, I'm using the numbers where you have two of the best that have done it just numbers wise. But you know, if you don't believe that they're worthy because of the PED thing, then no, no amount of numbers are going to change your mind. So that's kind of what it comes down to. I well, think. I think you look at a player like Ken Griffey, who's already in, right? He, he's one of those guys that was in that era of players and look at what he was able to do clean and i think if you put in somebody like barry bonds and you're looking at, a, at the baseball hall of fame after bonds is in hypothetically and you're looking at griffey's numbers and bonds numbers there needs to be some sort of i mean it's common knowledge but there needs to be a recognition that hey this player accomplished this not using peds and this player accomplished this using peds right like i think yeah it gets messy you let a guy in there needs to be recognition of a, a difference between those types of players clean and non-clean right yeah i'm not saying it's right or wrong to let them in regardless i'm just saying it gets messy letting them in in comparing them and having them side by side with other players that didn't use it like hangerfee jr or and then it gets messy with players that missed out on this like mcguire and canseco who weren't let in because of peds right yeah and for maybe sure should, are deserving of reconsideration in this current baseball climate <laughs> i think right? yeah i think that's what's gonna be the thing is like like you said one way or another it's gonna kind of tarnish like someone's name because like you said i mean if ken griffey jr's in and, and like he did it the right way and like was clean and all that stuff but now you have all these other guys who are also in and i don't know maybe maybe they do like the kind of asterisk thing but i think i don't know i, I think that's kind of like 
and it's not a really a good look. I, I don't think like to have a Hall of Fame where it's like, oh, like he was in, but like he had PED like suspicions, but this guy was clean. Like I don't think MLB wants to kind of get to that level where you're putting asterisks by guys' names. But yeah, it's it's just it's hard because I think if you were just looking at like pure numbers, obviously these guys are in. But like I said, it just goes back to kind of the personal opinion thing. But I, I feel like both these guys, like we don't know exactly how many numbers were PED driven and all that. I feel like these guys, for the most part, probably could have been, if not borderline Hall of Famers, like they would be in the Hall of Fame just based on, you know, like the first halves of their career. Like, so I don't even know how much the PEDs really like boosted their numbers. You know, it could be he like, for instance, Bonds, like if he only did it, like this is all complete speculation, obviously, but let's say he only did it for like two or three years, whatever. Like, obviously, his name is now attached to that for his entire career, but how much of it did, you know, benefited from that? So, like, that's something yeah. we'll never really know. But, so that's why it's it's hard. It's muddled and it's like, it, it just kind of sucks because I think, like, without that, you know, there wouldn't really be too much controversy. Like, you kind of know who's in and who's out based on the numbers, but that's, I don't feel like it's ever really going to be that way. Like, I mean, like you said, maybe 10 years down the road or whatever, we kind of have distance ourselves from all that and people don't care anymore or people care even more because now you've had a whole generation of players who are primarily clean and you're making peds look even worse because because now everybody doesn't do it so maybe that even hurts a rod even more you know like it could and i mean i don't know it could go either way so we'll see how that shakes out over the next few years uh it'll be it'll be cool to see you know you you mentioned mariano rivera getting 100 percent of the votes in his first ballot appearance right and, and next year is Derek Jeter's first I think that's going to be another player that we'll see accomplish what we saw Mario Rivera do this year a, I unanim- unanimous I, selection. I think unanimous selection easily don't you th- I mean don't you think <laughs> yeah I mean I I you know I don't I don't know how how what goes into all the voting and you know how you pick but I think uh yeah I mean like I said before like he was the first one so I think it kind of breaks down the barrier as far as, well, we can't let yeah, him get in with 100%. Right? Like, So I, I think it could happen. I, I feel like, you know, not to knock Derek Jeter, but I think like Mariano Rivera is very clearly like the best closer, the best reliever that baseball's ever had. I wouldn't say Derek Jeter is the best shortstop that the game's ever had. But then again, I mean, that doesn't mean he can't be 100% unanimous. So... It's a little bit different of a case, I think, between just mainly because they play different positions and you're kind of like gauging their numbers against their positions numbers. But uh, I mean, I I could see it. I I wouldn't be like completely shocked if it happens, uh, especially knowing what we know now as far as Mariano Vera getting that 100 percent. So I could could see it. Um, And if he does get it, it's good, good for him. Like, I don't I don't have anything against it. Like, I never really understood the whole thing with. Oh, there can't be a hundred percent like it, you know. So I'm I'm glad they kind of like rectified that. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I I, I think uh, yeah. I as far as whether he gets a hundred percent or not, I don't know. But I I mean he's in. I I don't think there's really much of a question there. So it's kind of nitpicking. I think at that point whether he's going for a hundred percent or like ninety nine point five or whatever it is. So yeah, but it'll be interesting to watch. I think when the when the time comes there. Indeed, indeed it will. Well, I guess. Uh, one little baseball topic we could touch on a pretty big signing for the Dodgers. They signed AJ Pollock, uh, to a four year deal. Excuse me. 
four-year deal five-year deal well it's actually got it, a little it's it's, it's, it's four little years and then he's got he's it's four years and he's got a, a fifth-year option i think is what the terms are yeah well it's According to the LA Times article I have right here, it's it's anywhere from three to five seasons apparently for forty five million dollars to sixty million. Has an opt out after the third season if he reaches a certain amount of plate appearances, ten million dollar player option, and a five million dollar buyout in the fifth season. So yeah, it's a little complicated, but three years in LA. <laughs> one way, we'll one that. way or another. Uh, but. Yeah, I guess he's expected to be the Dodgers' consistent center fielder it sounds like and now that'll move bellinger to the corners uh and also playing first base so i mean what do you think what do you think about this move this was you know speculation last week when we talked about you know dodgers what happened with bryce harper and machado and all that well obviously machado not wasn't going to be coming back to la but um why is the dodgers going after harper and it's like oh well they might be after pollock so why 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 do you think in your opinion Mr. Baseball here. Uh, right. Why do you think the Dodgers ended up uh, signing Pollock? You know, I think they just felt like they still needed another outfielder there. I mean, like we, I kind of, t- I, I think we kind of touched on this last week about, you know, them trading Matt Kemp and trading Yasiel Puig. And then all of a sudden kind of feeling like, oh, maybe we're a little bit short on outfielders. But, you know, I, I don't know their like reasoning behind going after him as far as like, you know, like the inside workings of like, is Pollock definitely the guy that they were targeting all along? Or like you said, like maybe they're kind of, you know, 50, 50 on if they're going to get Harper or if they even were interested in him in, in the first place. So I don't know if Pollock is maybe like a backup to them, like coming into the off season, thinking we're going to shoot really high and then kind of lowering to Pollock, who is still a good player. Don't like, don't get me wrong on that. But I think it's interesting also looking at it from an outside perspective, because I mean, obviously you're a Dodgers fan. I'm a Giants fan, but just like as unbiased as I can be, like I don't necessarily think this move improves them that much than if they would have just kept Yasiel Puig. I, I think if you look at the numbers between these guys, I mean, Pollock is 31, Puig's 28. So you already are going after a guy who's now three years older to play center field. Pollock, I don't really like saying like injury prone because I, you know, like I'm not a professional athlete, like, I'm not like, oh, I, I can I can go out there and not get injured. Like, guys get injured like you're you're playing professional sports at, you know, the highest level. So I get that. But, I mean, Pollock, he's, the dude's broke his elbow twice, which is like, you know, like, it, those are kind of like fluky things. But I don't know, like, does he have weak elbows? Like, you know what I mean? I mean so, you, you bring up a good point. He hasn't played a full season since, uh, you know, 2015 All-Star season. He, you know, he's, he yeah, you're right. Broken elbow, strained groin. <laughs> Uh, in 2016, he only played tw- limited him to 12 games in 2016, 112 games in 2017, and 113 last season. So, yeah, he's you're you're not incorrect in saying yeah injury prone over the recent years, recent seasons. But the Dodgers are emphasizing consistency uh, with his ability, I think, at the plate and in center field. But that I mean, is he going to be consistent if he can? I mean, he's in health health wise is he going to be consistent health wise that's that's going to be the biggest question i think yeah so for sure and i, and I think I, I will credit the dodgers at least with with the kind of like plan with him is if we don't expect 162 games say like let's just kind of write in that he's going to miss 30 to 35 games and i'm not saying that that's for sure but like the dodgers plan like their mindset let's say all right he's not gonna play 162 we know that like right off the top let's say he plays like 130 well, they have the depth to cover that. 
So I think it's like you said, like kind of a, you know, per game basis, maybe he's worth it if they are not, you know, 100% on relying on him to be out there every single game. Like, because they can move guys around. I mean, Cody Bellinger at one point was out in center, right? So they probably kind of know that, you know, if those 32 games, whatever that he misses, we'll put Bellinger in center and and Muncie will play first or something like that and we'll be fine without him. So I think it's definitely a depth move. Like, I'll turn it around and basically say, like, if, if that was a giant signing Pollock, Maybe there. I think there'd probably be more criticism, at least like on my part, just because it's like, well, you pretty you have to have him out there. Like, why are you signing a guy that's going to miss all these games? Whereas the Dodgers, like, they can kind of be okay without him. And then, you know, when he is on the field, obviously they think he makes that lineup deeper. But without him, like, they're going to be fine. So I think they're okay, kind of with making that gamble, as opposed to someone with not as much depth, like the Giants or someone. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think also they were, you know, wanting, you know, consistency with his with his bat and he's a right-handed bat, but I mean, Puig was a right-handed bat and I'm looking at their numbers right here as far as just average. Uh, you know, Puig was 267 last year, 346 in 2017. AJ Pollock last two years, 257 last year, 266. So I mean, I don't know. It's <laughs> I mean, Puig was known as being kind of streaky and not always as consistent, but I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how I, I, I don't know how I feel about the move overall. I mean, I believe in this team, and I think, uh, I think even when they unloaded Kemp and Puig, like I'm still like they, I still look at the roster and say they got young, uh, you know, talent that is still growing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm excited to get Corey Seager back in the lineup, but I mean, yeah, like I, I think I agree with what you said is like Pollock is a guy they can rely on when he can go into the lineup. And I mean, I, he's also, he's, he's won a gold glove where as Puig has not, I mean, I don't know how much that factors into like kind of their evaluation of him. Cause he, he got it back in 2015. So it's been a little bit removed, but like we said, I mean, cause he's, he's missed a lot of games in that, in that span. Yeah. But you know, Puig has the arm and all that, but I think Pollock is a better defender. So I think that kind of probably plays into it as well as, you know, I, I don't know how good their outfield defense was as a whole last year, but if you have he's more of a seasoned player, a gold Puig, glove caliber kind of kind yeah. of guy who's going to be out there in center field. And, you know, I think if there's any kind of drop off offensively between him and Puig, I think he makes up for it defensively. Although, I mean, like you said, Pollock's numbers are fine. Like there's not, there's nothing wrong with him offensively either. So I think the switch, like, I don't know. I mean, it's going to take obviously a year or so to kind of figure out what the right move was as far as whether you're going to hang on to Puig or or sign Pollock. But I think overall they're going to be pretty similar and it's just going to kind of come down to what the Dodgers' preference was and maybe it was kind of distancing themselves from Puig. Like, I, I know, like, the whole kind of clubhouse drama and stuff is probably overblown and it's kind of past them. But like you said, I mean, Pollock is kind of that dependable guy that hasn't he's not, hasn't had any of those kind of blowups in the past and stuff. And I'm not really trying to go in and like knock Puig over this, but I think maybe maybe the clubhouse presence also had something to do with it and uh, just kind of being like having some more stability there, I think, overall. Yeah. yeah. Well, any other points you want to uh, bring up regarding baseball that we didn't cover yet? Um, just my quick thing, just because I'm a Giants fan and we finally did like something, uh, signing Drew Pomeranz to a one-year contract uh i think they're paying him like one 1. 1.5 million uh he has like incentives that kick in that can bring it up to about 5 million if he makes like all 32 starts uh which is a huge buy low i think um 
he was a guy that was basically in the Cy Young running as as uh, recently as 2017, and he won 17 games, and uh, he was pretty much a frontline starter when Boston acquired him a couple years ago. So uh, I think he's kind of a buy low. He had a terrible year last year just because he had some arm injuries. Uh, he ended up getting uh, booted out of the rotation midway through, never pitched in the playoffs for Boston. So his value obviously is like at rock bottom, but he's a guy that the Giants kind of know. Uh, Kurt Young was his pitching coach in Oakland a few years back uh, when he had some pretty good success with them. So I think uh, these are the kind of contracts. I mean, we're talking about, you know, with the Dodgers going out and signing some of these bigger names to bigger deals. The Giants, because of kind of their contract situation now, they're kind of waiting for a lot of those guys to just kind of come off the books and like with Cueto, with Samarja, uh, with Longoria. So these are the kind of moves that they need to make. So I like this move because basically he's a guy that if he finds his form again, paying him $5 million is a huge steal. If he ends up being a number two, number three type starter, uh, I think a lot of it, like I I was kind of reading up just like on what some of the Red Sox fans have been saying because, you know, they've seen him pitch the last year and a half. Uh, a lot of them basically said it comes down to velocity. Like if his velocity is looking good in spring training, like there's a pretty good chance, like as far as him bouncing back, but if the velocity isn't there, like he's not really a pitcher that can overcome that. So then it maybe it's a disaster, but for, you know, one and a half million and I, they don't even have to pay him all of that if he doesn't make it through the year. So I'm okay, uh, with that kind of contract, I think as far as where the giants are. So those are the kind of deals I think that are going to be happening if you're a giants fan here. It's kind of waiting for some of these bigger contracts to kind of bleed out and then hoping they can, you know, find these rebound type of guys that they either help them get back to where they are or they flip them at the deadline. So that's kind of, I think, uh, the front office's move as far as it goes uh, from here on out. Big Smooth. It's his nickname. Well, there you go. Big I didn't, Smooth. I didn't know that, but there you go. That I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll get a sign or something. Now you got Big you Smooth know. and – yeah. Still call that, call still that out. still that Dutch oven. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, yeah, that's they have like the best. We're going, we're going all nickname all team, nickname I guess, team, dude. dude. But I, there you go. yeah, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Results right. on the field be damned. We've got great nicknames. Oh my god! All right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's let's go. Let's let's fast break into some ice NHL talk. Uh, yeah, I was uh, fast break. That's a that's a basketball term, by the fast way. Fast break could be. I don't a, know if you. Uh, well, fast break could be a down the ice. I guess no? it could. Yeah, I guess you know, so. Let's 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 skate into some <laughs> NHL talk. <laughs> uh, big trade made it made made it made by Toronto um, yesterday, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yesterday, as of yeah. the 28th of January, uh, Jake Muzzin was traded from the Los Angeles Kings. To the Toronto Maple Leafs, he's a four million dollar cap hit through 2020. So that means he's not just going to be a rental player for this season. He'll have two spring runs with Toronto, unless at least uh, before he's a free agent. And um, he's gonna—I think he is exactly what the Maple Leafs were looking for for solidifying up their D line. Um, I think this is a great trade that the Maple Leafs made. Um, it was I think, expected that the Kings were going to move him in hopes of getting some in return, which. Great for the Leaves. I thought it was decent for the Kings. You know, the King, uh, he was traded for a 2019 first round pick uh, and two on the bubble NHLers. Um, but I don't know, man. I I read this and I was like, 
I'm I I like the Maple Leafs. I I I cheer for them. You know, as a Sharks fan, this makes me happy because this is like officially kind of a emphasizing the rebuild that's happening in Los Angeles. Right. You know, he's twenty nine year old D man that it, it they're they're rebuilding. Uh, if you're trading a player like Muzzin, uh, it, it means you're clicking that button for sure because this season is definitely gone for the Kings. So um, it seems Muzzin's gonna come in and, and play alongside Morgan Riley, who's been killing it on the Maple Leafs, and that'll re- move Ron Hainsey um, down now. He's anticipated to pair up on the third pairing with uh, Travis Dermott, who's um, he's kind of a more offensive-minded D-man, so that can kind of can free him up now, as since he won't uh, Dermott won't be playing alongside the the rookie, you're expecting Igor Ozaganov. Ozaganov, intense Russian name there. Uh, so he's probably going to be the one uh, getting booted out of the out of the three defensive pairings, and and I think uh, Riley and Muzzin are going to have they're going to be they're going to be powerful, man. You know, Muzzin. You know, Riley is a big scoring defenseman, and they're both they're both lefties, uh, and one of them's going to have to play the right point as lefty stick. But I think either one of them are going to be able to do that successfully. Yeah. So what do you, I, I'll kind of leave it to you as far as analyzing this, like where do you think uh, that puts the leaves as far as their kind of rank in the Eastern conference right now? I mean, they're, they're at 62 points. They're second in the Atlantic third overall in the Eastern conference. I mean, Tampa has got that huge gap, 76 points. And then you got the New York Islanders at 63. Where does Muzzin kind of put the leaves? Like, does that close the gap at all between them and, and the lightning, or is this kind I mean, of I just think like so. a... I think if you're able to free up some more intensity offensively, uh, sorry, a lot of itties there, but if, you, if you're able to free up uh, Dermot a little bit more to attack from, from the point with, with, with Hainsey moving down, helping defend him, I mean, you're, you're bringing another element into the game, and I think having a player like Muzzin who's a solid D man. He's not necessarily, uh, you know, a point, a, a point getter, but he, he plays the position really well, plays the point well. And Morgan Riley has proven himself to be a beast. I mean, the Leafs are insane this year, as far as their scoring, like Austin Matthews is a beast. And, and, and Marlo, I mean, all the, I'm kind of going off these guys cause they're on my fantasy hockey team. Okay. So dude, like, so I have, have like, I got a, a bunch bit of, of a rooting, yeah. rooting interest there, dude. I do. And I just think, uh, Muzzin is only a positive here for the Leafs. Uh, I, th- I think, I think their defense is going to be even more offensive prone. If that makes sense, they're mm-hmm. going to be more attack worthy. And I think Toronto definitely has a shot of catching Tampa. Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay is insane too, but yeah, you're looking at a 14 point gap right now. 49 games played here in the season. Like, there's still a lot of hockey to be played. And we just finished up the All Star break. And the end of this week is going to be the end of the bye week now for a lot of these teams because we're only having a few, a handful of like three or four team. How many games are even been played yeah. right now? I think kind of kind of easing back into it. I think it was about it, three yeah. games yesterday. Yeah, so. and tonight I think we have three games tonight. So six teams playing. I, it's, I mean, once, once they get back into the thick of it, I think we're going to, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see like how Toronto can explode onto the scene here. I mean, they're four and six in their last 10. So not ideal, you know, compared to Tampa Bay going seven and three in their last 10. So they still have, there's a lot of gain to be gr- ground to be gained, but I think Muzzin fits the role of exactly what they were looking for. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, for me, it's main, mainly not even about them trying to close that gap, like, 
before the season ends. I, I think it just comes down to like the seven game series that they potentially meet them in in the playoffs. Not just the Lightning, but just it, with anybody. But yeah, I think that's definitely a move that. I mean, obviously, you're trying to gain that position uh, between now and the playoffs. But yeah, I, I think the the biggest difference is going to be uh, what he does in a seven game series if they get to that point against Tampa. But um, you know, looking at the return a little bit, I mean, like you said, they, they gave up a 2019 first round pick, which for Toronto, that's going to be a late first round pick. I mean, you're looking at probably a bottom 10 pick for sure as far as the first round goes. But I don't know, you're talking about, you know, kind of things ramping up a little bit as, as everyone gets back into it. But does this like, do you have like in mind, like maybe the next guy that goes or or like, does this kind of set a market as far as like the movement goes now that there's kind of like a, I don't know, like a at least a little bit of knowledge of like what it's going to take to get like some, some of these kind of guys, like who do you see maybe moving next or like just guys that have kind of been, kind of been uh, mentioned out there as far as like, I don't know. There's some of the, some of the bigger names maybe that could bigger be moved. Move. Are you talking specifically with the Kings? Or are you talking on around well, the league? Yeah. I mean, I think not, not necessarily with the Kings or if it is the Kings, but just, just, yeah, just anyone in general as we kind of move towards the deadline here a little bit. I mean, I definitely think that we're going to see, uh, we're, well, Panarin is another big name that's out there. Uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, left winger for the Blue Jackets, who came over from the Chicago Blackhawks in 2017. Uh, he, young player. He's, uh, I think his name's out there. He's made it. He's made it clear, kind of similar to Anthony Davis. He's, <laughs> he's not interested in discussing contract negotiations uh, until after the year's done. He, you know, he doesn't want to extend a contract before the trade deadline. Meaning he, it sounds like he's likely wanting to be traded um he's not saying that like anthony davis is but he um you know he was made an offer the blue jacks made him an offer last summer um which panarin declined because it sounded like he wasn't sure he wanted to keep playing in columbus it sounds according to people close to him he wants to end up going to a bigger city major destination team you know like new york LA or Miami, Tampa. That's, those are some of the names that the athletic listed, but mm. I think um, it's, it's very possible that he could be traded before the trade deadline um, simply because of the fact that Columbus, I think knows now they see the right on the wall. He's not going to resign with them. Um, even though he said he doesn't want to discuss the contract negotiations until the end that, of the year, he's not going to sign. That's with a no. That's basically. a no. Um, so they want to get something for him. You think, I mean, the blue jackets aren't, out of a they're not they're not spot. out of it they're, that was yeah that was going to be my next question like they're sitting third in the metropolitan i mean a point out from the capitals and only four behind the islanders i don't know yeah, do you, making, what do you what do you do here? i mean i that's that's going to be i think that's going to be the key to see what if they decide to trade him before the deadline or not um is going to be what they can get back because they're not they're i don't think they're a team necessarily looking for draft picks and bubble players fringe players they they want people that can compete and i don't think i mean you're not going to get panarin but maybe you can get two or three guys that can add up to a panarin i don't i mean i don't know i think it's it's a tough position to be in for columbus because you hold on to him you have this skilled player who is gonna make a run with you hopefully in the postseason um because yeah they're competing for the top of the metropolitan division so i think uh it's gonna be interesting to see if they move him or not um but it's gonna be it's gonna come down to what players you know what teams can offer him and I think I think honestly a destination that he won't go to 
but I think would be a perfect fit would be the New York Islanders as far as like, I think he would fit in with that team very well. They're very competitive. They have, I mean, Panarin is leading, um, he's leading the Blue Jackets in scoring. He's the leading scorer with 53 points. He's 25th in the NHL currently. Um, and he's holding the franchise record, uh, over Ray Whitney and Rick Nash with an average of 1.06 points per game. So he's obviously a skilled, talented player, 2016 Calder Trophy winner. Um, but if he went into New York, because if you're talking big destination, New York's got the salary cap space, according to Cap Friendly, um, and he would already jump in and be the leading scorer for the New York Islanders, who, surprisingly enough, are atop the Metropolitan Division. Uh, even though after they lost Tavares, you know, Barzil's been been doing very well um, with that team. He's currently, what, 45 points on the year, 14 goals, 31 assists. So immediately, Pernier would jump in there and be their top scorer right there on the year. And I think, I, I just don't think Columbus is going to trade him to a division opponent, obviously. Yeah, not, I mean, not it, four points out of the, obviously, you know, you're like You're not going to want to be trading this player that you want to hold on to, to a fellow division uh, opponent. I mean, I don't, I, I, it's going to depend on what teams have the cap space for him and what teams are willing to give up um, to Columbus yeah. in order to... I, I, well, I think, well, I, I think it's just interesting because... Like you said, they're kind of a team that's maybe not trying to trade him to tear everything down and, and get all these draft picks, but that's kind of the that's kind of the market like at the trade deadline. I feel like if you're a team that's trying to get him to make a run, like that's what you're gonna want to give up. Like you're not gonna want to give up guys that are crucial to what you're trying to do this year. I mean, you know, obviously adding to your team is gonna make you better, but like teams are not going to want to kind of take away their depth in order to get him. So it's going to kind of be, I think, an interesting thing to see as far as what the Blue Jackets decide to do. Like if they if they want to go kind of all in and, and try to make one last run with him or give him up, it's going to, yeah, it'll just depend on on kind of the market that they find for him. But uh, Yeah, yeah I be. mean, it'll be interesting to see if you want. I mean, Patrick Kane was asked at All-Star Weekend if, he, you know, he got he got excited when asked about Panarin and the possibility of, you know, rumors are surrounding him if he's going to get traded or not. And uh, and people were like, oh, like, what do you think about that? And Patrick Kane was excited about the possibility of him maybe coming back to the Windy City, like coming back to Chicago. I know Kane and Panarin gelled very well. Like, so he's quoted and saying, like, he, they were best buds and on a line together. And, and, and he, it's possible he could be heading back. I mean, Chicago is not looking like a contender. No, they're, I mean, <laughs> they're, year. they're out of it this year, but you I know, mean, they're, they're, uh, but maybe they're a team that's willing to part ways with, uh, with some players that could generate some quality play in return for the blue jackets and Chicago could get back this player that they originally traded away. Um, but maybe bring him back because now he fits, maybe he's fit in their scheme that they want to do a young player that they can build around um, and put in with Taves and Kane. I don't know. That'd be interesting to see if that actually happens. Uh, if they they reunite. I don't know. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll yeah. see how that shakes out. Those those are the you know, those were uh, two points I wanted to hit on okay. as far as NHL. Jake Muzzin and Panarin. You got. Obviously, a... we'll see more as it approaches to the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, uh, 
But yeah, I mean, before we wrap up the NHL, I mean, is there anyone else you're keeping an eye on or just those those two guys? Or I mean, anyone keeping, else you want to keep? Uh, I'm keeping an eye on Eric Carlson to see if he's going to resign with the Sharks. I think the Sharks are not, I don't I don't think they're out. I mean, you never say never with Doug Wilson. I don't, I mean, we're obviously going to touch on the Sharks because we're both Sharks fans. Yeah. But I think that they are focused on trying to, you know, bring Eric Carlson back. I think, um, and bring, by bringing him back, I mean extend him. I think they want, that's number one priority rather than going out and getting anybody yeah, you know sharks are sure. limited on cap space and i think they have to look into making sure that they can i think pavelski is gonna require some uh some contract talks this who who are the upcoming uh well yeah i mean well, free yeah pavelski here. pavelski for sure is coming up and i think that's kind of like i think that was the biggest obstacle other than maybe if carlson doesn't want to come back but as far as i don't know from what i gathered just watching some of the all-star stuff like he definitely seems like he is enjoying it in San Jose. So I think the cap space is going to be the biggest thing, kind of figuring out how they're going to be able to afford him and potentially keep uh, Pavelski as well. But Yeah, because you got Pavelski, UFA this year. You got, I mean, Thornton, who you assume is going to come back on a one-year deal again. You'd hope. I mean, I don't know. Sharks fans hope, I assume. And then Jonas Donskoy is another big guy, who a big name for them that they got to look at. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's those considerations come into play when you're talking about Eric Carlson, but I think the Sharks are going to do everything they can to keep Eric Carlson there. Like they're, they're going to, that's, that's the main thing I'm focusing on is, are, is he going to re-sign with the Sharks before he can see other offers from um, other teams this summer? You know, I think that's going to be the key thing I'm keeping an eye out for as a Sharks fan, um, rather than seeing any sort of other deals or trades being made as far as uh, the San Jose Sharks are concerned. Because now that we're seeing Carlson come into his element and play, and he was he was in the All-Star game, which was fun to see. Um, so it, you, know, you can assume that he's going to play this Saturday when the Sharks play uh, the Coyotes. You know, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think we'll see what happens as far as his future with the Sharks in you know before the end of the season, if he's going to re-sign something or... Because I think he has to accept a max deal uh, he can accept a max deal from the Sharks before he becomes a free agent. Yeah, it's it's basically like any time after the trade deadline is when they can offer that to him, and then yeah. they have like that exclusive window before yeah. free agency. Yeah. So that's going to be one thing I'm keeping a, a, a huge eye out for, and and also seeing if the Kings deal away any anybody else. You know, there's rumors about you know how much longer we're going to see Jonathan Quick as a Los Angeles King. So that's another thing I'd like to just keep eyes out for <laughs> as yeah, for far sure. as um you know he's he's an aging goaltender has a contract through you know 2024 it's a big contract so i mean are, is he is he in the long-term plans of the la kings i don't know we'll yeah. see so that's the main thing that's the main thing i'm looking out for but uh you want to you want to move on to some the big event this weekend yeah i don't i don't even know what it what event What's, is that yeah Some actually that's that's a good point like I, nfl well they just had the pro bowl i don't know if that's what you're talking that's, about that's that's totally what i meant uh, yeah the pro bowl so the pro bowl happened i'm just kidding we're not gonna <laughs> talk about the pro bowl. yeah no my thoughts on the pro bowl i think were uh expressed last week and, and then and like they went out there and backed it up like that was such a trash game but no yeah i mean obviously hey man you don't support the afc no, I don't. Dude, <laughs> I, uh, man, I, I don't know. Just a quick thing on the Pro Bowls. Like, I, I don't understand why they still play it. I think they should just do like you can name the Pro Bowl teams, you know, 
So you get, still get your accolades and all that, and then just like don't play the game. Then they can just like play the game on like Madden or something, and then that would be figure, interesting. You know, like just Madden get Pro Bowl. get like get like the two like team captain like have Patrick Mahomes like I don't know go up against like whoever Zeke or something and like just play and see who wins. I think that I I should pitch that idea to the NFL. I think that would be probably more entertaining than what the Pro Bowl game was. But anyway, but so we got, I mean, obviously the Just Super Bowl, Super okay, Bowl sorry, on Sunday. On. Super Bowl <laughs> 53 is uh, is coming to town. Well, it's actually not coming to town. It's coming to Atlanta. It's <laughs> it's, it's coming to a town. A town. Yeah. ATL town. ATL. All right, let's move on. Uh, Super Bowl 53, man. What, where do you want to start? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I think we're gonna do predictions. I think we'll right do predictions at some point at the end. for sure. We'll, we'll no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying to jump the gun. I'm just. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Here. You know, predictions like what are everything that's going on? But you, um, I mean, do you have what? What do you think are going to be the key factors in this game? Well, I look at just probably two things. Um, just as far as like the Rams, kind of surrounding like the Rams offense, and uh, obviously number one is like the health of Todd Gurley because I don't know he's been downplaying it. The Rams obviously aren't going to lead on to you know what his health status is uh, until they have to, as far as the injury report goes. But, you know, he did not play very often in New Orleans. And when he did, I mean, he got a short touchdown, but like he was clearly not a hundred percent. The good news is they had CJ Anderson. So like that will kind of factor in. But if you have Todd Gurley at less than a hundred percent, I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Like, is he going to still, how much of a factor yeah, is he going to I mean, be? He, like he you got a to, game plan for him. He, but. he tried to play it off though. as like, he wasn't, he was being held out because of his performance and you know, and I mean, how much of that is true? I mean, is he just not wanting it out that he's actually well, not at hundred percent? Well, I think, you know, I think it is true. It's his, his performance was down because he yeah. was injured. Yeah, exactly. you know? I mean, playing, I think that so. probably goes hand in hand, but yeah, he had four carries for 10 yards. Like you said, the short touchdown and, and even Anderson though, like the running game for the Rams didn't seem to be, executing you know Aronson had what 16 carries 44 yards if my numbers are correct I think from that NFC championship game so I think it, I mean yeah it's I mean, Gurley's health and ability on the field and if the Rams are able to execute the running game is going to be key because you know that the Patriots and Belichick are preparing for the vertical passing game like they're preparing for Cooks and Goff and and Woods like they're I think Oh, it's, I, I I don't I mean hate to, I can't get into this without making my prediction because yeah it's hard. and it's not a happy prediction but it's like I don't th- I think the Patriots are going to come in and do what they've been able to do which is adjust to their opponent's strength to to be able to defend against their opponent's strength and and, and eliminate it I think like you look what they did to the Chargers like like a huge one example for the that the Rams have is their their fearsome threesome. You know, they're Aaron McDonald, Ndamukong Suh, and, and, and Dante Fowler, right? Those guys need to pressure Tom Brady for the Rams to have a chance in this game. And, I mean, the Ram- the excuse me, the Patriots have proven that they can adjust to that. Like, you, they faced Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa with the Chargers, and they made them non-factors, you know, held them to zero sacks on that game. And the Chiefs, who led the league in, in sacks, came up empty as well. So I think, I don't know, I mean how effective is the you know the defensive line for the rams going to be in this game is going to be a key factor yeah i mean i think and, and kind of with to go along with that point i think is like in the reverse like how well the patriots defense is able to slow down the rams offense and one of the things 
uh, that I saw a couple days back. Like they were talking about actually the Detroit Lions and one of the games that they played against the Rams, which ended up the Rams won 30 to 16, but they had only 16 points going into the fourth quarter before they kind of blew them out. But in that game, Goff went 17 to 33, 207 yards, a touchdown, an interception. So kind of middle of the road for him. But the reason I point that out and that everyone has kind of been going back to that game is because Matt, Pat- Matt Patricia, who is formerly of the Patriots and runs kind of that same kind of defense that the Patriots do, they were able to kind of slow him down a little bit and hang in there. And obviously the Patriots offense is uh, clicks a little bit more than the uh, Detroit Lions one does. So <laughs> I feel like, you know, if they kind of, I don't, I don't know the, you know, exact game plan as far as what they're going into, because obviously, you know, in that game, Gurley, rushed for 132 yards and two touchdowns. So they didn't stop the ground game, but they were able to slow Goff down. I mean, we've seen the Bears do it a couple, like, or late in the season as well. Obviously, it's kind of a different scheme that they run. But if the Patriots are kind of able to look back on what the Lions did and kind of see how they were able to slow down the Rams a little bit, they, uh, I think that'll be kind of a factor because... I don't think it's going to come down to being a defensive game. Like the defenses are going to be important, but I think like I, I then like you said, like it's going to start to go into predictions a little bit, but I, I feel like it's going to be more on the higher scoring side of things. Like the defenses are going to factor, but I, I feel like it's going to come down to like, you know, someone making like one key stop on a drive or something like that. So my, my thing is that, yeah, I'm going to be kind of focusing a little bit more on what the defense is able to do, like within a couple big plays, as opposed to like, the whole thing, like, like basically, what I'm saying is like it's not going to be a low scoring game. I don't think. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can, I don't know, man. I can easily see this thing going to the Patriots being. They've kind of been this underdog team this season, which is crazy to think about, insane. like the Patriots as like underdogs. And but I it's just, true. I, I mean, I, I truly think it's, in my opinion, I think it's going to come down to if the Patriots stop the Rams defense. I think that's the main factor in my, in my eyes is if they can pressure Tom Brady and get to him and cause that offense some trouble, you know, in that, it, that that's what it's going to come down to in my opinion. Cause I think, I don't know. I think the Patriots have proven that they can, they can limit teams potent weapons. You know what I mean? And I don't, I mean, yeah, it's, is Gurley going to show up and is the running game going to going to be there is they get are they going to be able to work the the play action to open up you know wideouts downfield man i don't i don't know i don't know because i think if Gurley if Gurley doesn't play the way he's a, a capable if he's not healthy or if he can't can't execute i don't see how this and and if the rams can't get to tom brady i don't see any chance that the rams have i hate to say it because that's I mean that's who I'm pulling for. I'm just gonna be out yeah. up front with it. I, I'm pulling for the Rams, but I don't see them. I don't see them being able to win this game. Just the way the Patriots have looked the last two, the last two games they've played, the last two weeks. Yeah. Excuse me, the last three weeks they didn't play last week. Sorry. So I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I think I think part of it too is for me, like the Rams. I just think that there's like something else like they almost don't seem like they're totally focused on this game like I don't know if you've seen like some of the like 
they've had like you know media days and stuff like they're still talking about like the non-call they're still talking about like the saints game and i mean i get it like if the media is the one bringing it up but like they're answering this like they're not they're not like oh we're gonna focus on the super bowl like they're they're still like talking about this saints game that was like two weeks ago and they're talking about like i know i uh they were basically like trash talking like saying like we're gonna go out there and like we're gonna we're gonna kick tom brady's ass and shit like that like yeah it's like you know like like i get it like you're hyped up and they want to hype up their fans and stuff on the send-off but it's like the patriots aren't doing that kind of stuff and and they're the team that's been there before like they know what it takes to like be prepared so i feel like the rams like for me to be like all right like they have a chance in this game like i want to see them like go out and like make a big play like early on whether it's offensively defensively like do something to like kind of show everybody like that their head's in the game because i I can see it like right away. Just like the Pats come out there, put up a quick touchdown or two, and like the Rams are already in a 10, 14 point hole, or whatever. Well, they were and in that hole though against the against the Saints as well. But the Saints are not the Patriots, and Drew yeah. Brees is not Tom Brady. Don't get me wrong, love Drew Brees, but these are the these are the Patriots, and I I I I, I hate that stuff as far as like trying to get everybody hyped up and pumped up and trash talking. I get that that exists, but there's a reason the Patriots don't do it. They don't need to do it, and and. I think when you're trash talking from one end, one side, it's only motivating the other, the other side. Or maybe you know they always say they block out all the noise and all that stuff. But like, Belichick and Brady are down, get down and dirty, nitty gritty. They know they game plan, and they've proven that they game plan because of the fact that they've been able to limit their opponent's most potent strengths. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they, they, and I think they're obviously focused on limiting that fearsome threesome of the LA Rams, man. I think that they're going to be able to, I think they're going to be able to do it. And, That's they, what and I they've think. had, they've, I, and they've had two weeks to game plan too. So they've had two weeks so to game plan. And, and, and there's a reason they're back in the Super Bowl again, you know? And yeah, sure. There's a chance that they could, they could lose to the Rams, but I just don't see it happening. I don't, I don't see it happening. Okay, so let me maybe just... it comes down to the kicker, dude. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe Greg Zurline. Greg the leg. Greg the leg. Greg the leg. Yeah, what? Forty-eight yarder in the final minute of regulation. Fifty-seven yard in OT. Which he crushed, by the way. He could have made could that, have that from like, seventy. Yeah, that like was that was insane. It was the most perfect kick I think I've ever seen in my life. But dude, I. So, well, let me just ask you this: like, what? So, I mean. Like you said, like it's you think it's gonna be kind of an uphill battle as far as the Rams trying to yeah. trying to win, but like but that could just be I mean, dude, it could just be I mean, it could just be because it's like the Patriots have been here before, right? And they they just they seem unstoppable. Like watching them just just completely dismantle my Chargers three weeks ago, it just, it was so <laughs> heart crushing because I was like, oh, this like I felt great about the Chargers offense and their ability to protect Phillip Rivers and, and their ability to pressure quarterbacks with Ingram and Bosa. And they couldn't do it. They could not do it. Yeah. They got annihilated. And then look at the Patriots had a close game with, with the chiefs who I admit were, I think a more skilled team and they were able to take them down. Granted it took an overtime drive game winning drive. And, uh, and, and then, and the other thing is look at the Rams and how they barely, I mean, they barely pulled off the, the win against the Saints and everybody's saying like, were they even the right team to get in? That's why people are still talking about that non-call. It's yeah. like, should it be Saints Patriots? Maybe I don't know. And <sighs> so, so, but what do you think it's going to take? Like, I don't know, just like one thing, like for the Rams to win, like, give me like one thing that you 
think like if they win, like why do they win? Get I guess. To, they get to Tom Brady. I think if they, that's why they'll win. That's is why? if they okay. can get to Tom Brady. That would be enough, I think. Create pressure on him. Don't give him time in the pocket to be able to make his decisions. You know, make his reads. I think, I think if they can get to him and pressure him and be able to sack him without getting roughing the passer penalties. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there I you think, go. Back to the officiating. Yeah, side no, things, I'm just but. saying. Like they, you know, he's Tom Brady, man. He's he's the LeBron James of the NFL. I'm just kidding. Uh, he, I think he can. Uh, I think that will be the key factor is if they can they can get to Tom Brady and cause him pressure in the pocket. Um, that will be the difference maker. I believe in the Rams offense, but I don't know if I believe in the Rams defense against the Patriots. You know, like I don't know. Yeah, I mean nobody knows. Nobody nobody, nobody knows, knows. But nobody it's knows. that's that's what I that's what I think it comes down to. Yeah. I mean I, I think obviously there's factors like you said of if Gurley can perform at his low at his you know capabilities you know yeah. is, is, that could be a factor as well but well that'll that'll be i think the thing for me is like i said like early on like the first couple drives for both teams like where they're at because i don't know like you said i mean they they came back from a deficit against the saints but like this is like bigger i mean it, you know it's a super bowl like i think that the rams are a team that because they're a little bit younger like they can get rattled i, I think that if they come out and like Goff has, you know, throws a pick early, or if the Patriots just march down the field and, and get in a touchdown really easily, not to say that the game's done after that, but like then the kind of mental aspect of it creeps in and, you know, can McVeigh outmaneuver Belichick and all that stuff. I think that they, they don't even necessarily like have to get ahead early, but like just don't fall behind early. Like don't make like a big mistake that kind of puts them you know, in the hole mentally, I think is the biggest thing. And if they can stay close, like Gurley's going to still be a factor uh, because if they fall behind, maybe like the running game doesn't do so much. And now you got to put it on golf's shoulders and not that he necessarily can't overcome it, but like, I don't know if you want to put him in a situation where he has to win you the game. And that's not a knock on golf. Like, I think he just needs to like kind of do what he needs to do, not have to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns to get him back into it, you know? So yeah. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is like, just stay in it mentally because the Patriots are, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen them, what they, what they did to overcome a 28 to three deficit and all that a couple years back. Yeah. And stuff and, like Atlanta. Yeah. So yeah. like they, like they've proven that no matter what happens, like they're going to be in it mentally. And like the Rams, we don't know yet. Like we think that they can because they did it against the saints, but it's still a young team that we don't, we don't know like in that situation, like if they're going to be able to come back or not. So yeah. that's going to be the big thing for me is like kind of early on. Yeah. And I, th I mean, and just some interesting, I think, outside of the game itself, I think some interesting, well, no, number one, within the game, it's, it's actually going back to what we touched on last week was the young young blood versus uh, versus the, you know, veteran studs, dude. This is the ultimate showdown of that. McVeigh Goff and Brady Belichick, like that is, this is the ultimate matchup here. This is, this is the established dynasty NFL established NFL dynasty come uh, versus the uh you know now proven uh and now truly tested young upcoming yeah, McVay Goff. I think this is going to be really this is I mean more so than Peyton Breeze versus McVay 
McVeigh off, I think this is even more so uh, of a storyline. I think that's that's going to be really fun to watch. But outside of that, it's also interesting. Like Brady said, this is there's a zero percent chance that this Super Bowl is going to be his last game. And I mean, who can blame the guy? Yeah, he's 41, but he's still he's still doing what he does in this in this with this team. Like, I mean, is when will it be the last time we see Brady? Yeah, you know, I, I think if he wins this. How I mean, it could, how could he not want to maybe go out on top like this? But I yeah, and who see, can blame him for I see to that, back? and it's like I feel like part of it is goes back to like kind of the they know like what to expect is like. I don't think Brady coming out and saying like, "Oh well, yeah, maybe like I might I'm if I win the Super Bowl, like maybe I might retire." Like that's another storyline for them to like have to deal with and constantly be asked about leading up to it. So I think it makes sense for him to just say zero percent chance and like that's it because there's not really much speculation to it if he says that as opposed to being like, "Well, I might be on the fence. Like if I win, this might be it." Like I think they're just like locked in on like. It's about we're, point because that's we'll the figure pay- all all that other stuff out after the game after Sunday because right now we're just focusing on that. True, and that's the Patriot way, dude. That's the way you know. Look at Belichick and how he is in his press conferences. That's just how they are in New England, and I think that's a very valid point that this it could maybe it is his last game, but right now, yeah, he is saying this to eliminate any yeah. speculation. It doesn't matter, like whatever he said, like it doesn't matter. It's not gonna because now there's like, speculation about Gronkowski. Is this yeah. Gronkowski's last game? Right? Exactly. So for him coming out and saying like. Zero percent, whatever. Like that doesn't affect the game. So like, why am I gonna yeah, exactly. really put too much thought into it? So yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely. I don't know. It could I, also I could be an inspiring thing. Way. Like if you, I mean, there could be taken the other way though. When you say like, "Hey, it's gonna be my last game," like, and then you—that's even more fuel though for your team to come out and be like, "Dude, this is gonna be Brady's last game." Maybe it, it could be. You know, who knows? But it could be. But I feel like they like the guys in the locker room. I'm sure they already know one way or another whether it is his last game or not so i don't i don't think Could that they need like they, unlikely if he comes back and i mean it's the patriots yeah like, we'll probably see him next year yeah. in the super bowl right but i i don't i don't think they need like the motivation for it so I, I don't think like i don't know like i said it just comes back to like the patriots don't don't need like all this outside stuff to like fuel them whereas the rams until i like actually see it like i i just like kind of have some doubts as to whether or not they're like 100 percent focused on this because I feel like they're still just like, yeah, like we do deserve to be here. Like it wasn't the, it wasn't like the ref's fault, you know, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Like yeah. they're still focused on that and it's going to be like a reality check on them. Like if they're not turning all their attention to the Super Bowl, because we know what the Patriots are capable of. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know, man, you want to, you want to go into predictions or let's you got it. anything let's else? Do it. All right. Let's let, why don't we, why don't we close out with some predictions here? I want to start with Tony Romo's prediction because I didn't see that. So, so Romo, <laughs> He, the fortune teller himself. Yeah, yeah, he predicted the final score, 28-24. Uh, declined to include who the winning team would be, but I think we were talking about that is because I, I think he's part of the broadcast team, so he really Yeah, I think can't. the Super Bowl's on CBS this so, year, uh, so I think he'll be the color guy. Yeah, so 28-24 uh, is what was what Tony Romo says. So at least, you know, the benefit of the doubt for him is if someone does win 28-24, he can just be like, yeah, well, no, I, I said it was the Patriots, but I just couldn't... Uh, I couldn't say that beforehand. So he's kind of has like, you know, two predictions almost. But um, but yeah. So that's Tony Romo's prediction. But I don't, you want me to, to go first, or you want to go? Kick it off. Do it. Go okay. Oh man. I haven't. I, I honestly, this is like I haven't thought about it. Like I don't have a prediction numbers, beforehand. So yeah. this is like just you know off the top of my head. So that's how you know it's gonna be like like a, a true take or whatever. But uh, yeah. No, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Patriots win thirty one to 27 
I get I go thirty one twenty seven Patriots. Is this and and this is this is uh this is not like them coming from behind. So this is not like a, like you know what I mean. Like this is not like twenty seven twenty four Rams and then the, and then Brady throws a last minute touchdown to give them the win. Like mm-hmm. I think that they'll be leading and it'll be the Rams like having to try to come back. So thirty one twenty seven Patriots without a Tom Brady comeback. Like a late, a late, a late comeback. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, that's, oh man, that's pretty, I think that's going to be a pretty accurate guess. I mean, this isn't your, this is your prediction, but not necessarily what you're rooting for to have happen. You want to differentiate that? Yeah, I mean. Do we have any biases in this Super Bowl? I mean, you're a Niner guy. I'm a Niner guy, so like. for an NFC West Yeah, I don't, I don't like love the Rams. I wouldn't, like, if it, yeah, that's the thing is it's hard because like if, if the Rams were playing anybody else, like. I'd be like pretty squarely like for the other team, yeah. but because it's the Patriots, like you kind of feel dirty, like like you know rooting for them. So so I don't know. Like I just want I want both teams to have fun and a I good just game. want a nice clean game. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no. So I, I don't know. I'm not gonna be like it's not the Seahawks at least. So I'm not like I'm not pissed if the Rams win. But uh, but yeah, as far, okay. as far as what I think, it, I yeah, that's my like. My thought is like yeah. the Patriots thirty one twenty seven. Yeah, I'll I'll go I'll go Patriots. Uh, I'll say Patriots thirty eight. I'm gonna give them thirty eight. Okay, and I'll give the Rams twenty one. Okay, so not not too close. Actually, here. I want to give them a field goal because I think Greg the Leg will come through with. Maybe he kicks field, seven field goals. Then. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He might <laughs> kick seven field goals. That's true. I'll, I'll say thirty eight. I'll say 38-31. Okay. Okay. 38-31. 38-31 Patriots. That's uh-huh. my guess. Okay. So we got our we got our predictions locked in. I'm I'm pulling I'm pulling for the Rams. I am in no way a LA Ram faithful, uh part of the LA Ram faithful, but I think uh it'd be fun to see, you know, the Rams you know, win their second Super Bowl in franchise history and their first uh, you know, LA-based title since 1951, so I think it'll be, I think it'd be really cool to see one of the two teams that have moved back to LA do it in such an early, you know, such a quick amount of time. When they're what this is this their third their third, third year, year yeah. back in LA, yeah. I think uh, that bodes well for NFL excitement and football excitement in Los Angeles. Um, obviously not for my Chargers, but I think. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to see him do it. And obviously Patriots are the same old story. So, uh, I don't know. That's, 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 that's where I stand. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it happens. You're going to wear a, we're watching the Super Bowl together on Sunday. So uh, we are, yeah. we're going to we'll, be, this, it's going to be a CB sports, uh, Super Bowl watch party. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. We tried, we tried to like broadcast live from the Super Bowl, but we didn't have the credentials for that. So <laughs> we're just going to do it from my couch instead, but you <laughs> yeah. know, it's good enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you're going to be wearing a, you can be wearing a jersey Super Bowl Sunday. What are you? What are you going to be repping? I I don't know, man. I mean, I only have as far as like football jerseys. I only have Niner jerseys, so we're a far cry from from the Super Bowl. So, but um, I'm going to be wearing my nice, beautiful powder blue oh, Philip Rivers Chargers oh, jersey. Okay. I'm doing it. I don't know. Maybe I rock maybe my I'll Vikings throw, beanie. Maybe I'll know? throw something on, dude. I, I I don't know. It's in the spirit. I don't have like. It's like a national holiday. I'm trying to even remember, like, I don't have, like, a superstition. Like, even when the Niners were, like, in the Super Bowl, I don't even think I was, like, got to wear my jersey, man. Or, like, don't, really? wear, don't wear the jersey because it's bad luck. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. 
You don't even think that you don't you don't overthink that stuff like I do. No, not really. Not no, not really. <laughs> I usually I wear the jersey that the Sharks are wearing. Like if they're playing an away game, I'll usually wear my Sharks away jersey. See, I'll do that if I'm like going to the game, but like oh, not, not if on, I'm watching watching really, on my no. couch, dude. Well, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. Fair. We'll Different see. You'll just have to find out. Like, yeah, we'll just have to find out what I'm wearing on All Sunday. Right. This would be surprising. Well, we'll, I'll be sure. Okay, listeners, to report back on what chris is wearing for the super bowl party we can right? we can take a picture oh that's what we'll that's do what i wanted to talk about too okay we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna be setting up a twitter account maybe instagram too i don't know but yeah uh, so do some pics or something of like yeah we'll set up an instagram a twitter we don't have the handles yet we'll be sure to get those to you next uh next broadcast uh next week and um yeah there you'll be able to follow and we'll probably start doing some segments where you can we'll post some pictures about what the heck we're talking about and y'all can put a visual to what we're talking about <laughs> yeah yeah and then just like tweet back like stuff tweet like, back at tweet questions maybe you, nice uh, things maybe mean things i don't know doesn't matter we'll read them anyway you can uh contact us though currently we have a gmail so if uh you want to reach out to the podcast ask a question send a nice friendly email um you can uh reach us at cb sports podcast at gmail.com that's cbsportspodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll be sure to get those Twitter and Instagram handles to you folks next week. But for uh, for this week, that's going to wrap it up for the CB Sports Podcast. I'm Ben. And this is Chris. And we'll see you guys, y'all, next week. Peace.